Well, let me add my welcome to you all this morning. It's good to be back and worshipping with you. And uh, thank you guys for leading us so well. Thank you, Ian. Yeah, that, that was brilliant. Thank you, guys. Um, just one other little notice. You'll see in the, in the newsletter that we're having a baptismal service on the 14th of July. That's the evening service. It's a great joy to, to announce that. I've got two people have expressed interest in getting baptised, but I'm sure there might be others. So if the Lord is prompting you to consider that or think about that, please talk to myself or one of the other elders. And we'll be happy to have a conversation with you about baptism, what that means um, to be a committed follower of Christ and go public with your faith in that way. So please pray uh, for that service. Life doesn't always work out as we had planned or expected or hoped, does it? We have plans we have dreams, we have, as Rabbi Burns called them, the best laid plans. And sometimes God radically changes them. Because ultimately, he is, Jesus commands my destiny. We've just sung that. And some of the things that he writes into the race that he's marked out for us are things that we would not particularly welcome, like a diagnosis of cancer, like redundancy, like bereavement, like children breaking our hearts. We wouldn't plan those, would we? So how do you react when life doesn't work out for you as God, as you had planned it or expected it or hoped it would. Let's pray and ask God's help. Father, as we begin this series in Philippians, <clears throat> which is a, a letter that is resounding from cover to cover with overwhelming joy unspeakable and full of glory, we pray that we might experience that in our own lives too because we are confident in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how do you react when the Lord changes your best laid plans? Here's how I react. Not well. Some of the ways I react badly to those Plans, that the Lord, plans of mine that the Lord chooses to change is <clears throat> my confidence takes a huge knock. My stress levels rise and often go into the red zone. My anxieties and worries and fears tend to grow like bindweed all around me. I tend to get a bit snippy and short with those who are closest to me. And I start to wonder if God really does, after all, love me and have my best interests at heart. I wonder if there's any bells ringing as I've described something of my own adverse reaction to God changing my plans. I've been thinking about this this week, and my, I, I ask myself this question, well, why is it that I react that way? 
And the answer is, <clears throat> it's a control issue. I really want to be in control of my life. I want to have the rule of my own life. I want to be in control. And I guess you want to be in control of your life. That's why you make plans. That's why you have dreams. That's why you have these things that you say, these are what I would like to happen. Because you, that's what you want to do. And we want to be in control. And we're not. We're not. So what is the cure? What's the remedy for the adverse reactions we suffer with when God changes our plans the answer the letter of the Philippians gives the answer the Apostle Paul gives under the inspiration of the Spirit to that question is to be transformed to live cross shaped lives so that our lives resemble and echo Jesus self-sacrificing obedience to God. I think the heart of Philippians' letter is the Christ poem or Christ song in chapter 2. The shape of Jesus' life was cross-shaped. And the shape of a transformed Christian life becomes increasingly cross-shaped. So why did Paul write this love letter to the church at Philippi? Because it is a love letter. Look at verse 8. He doesn't say this often to the churches that he's writing to in the New Testament, but he says it to the Philippian church. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loved the church at Philippi. He loved the Christians at Philippi with, a, with an intensity. The, the, he says, with the affection of Christ. So why did he write this letter to the church that he loved with the affection of Christ Jesus? I think one of the primary reasons was that God was changing their plans. God was changing their expectations of what the Christian life was really like. For example, Paul, the man who with Timothy and Luke had planted this church, and it was the first European church plant. This is where the gospel penetrated Europe for the first time. And we read about that in Acts chapter 16. And if you look at Acts chapter 16 um, over your lunch or later on today, you'll see that the church plant came about because God changed Paul's plans. He wanted to go there. No. He wanted to go there. No. And he had a dream of a man from Macedonia and concluded the Lord had called him to preach the gospel in Europe. And so God <laughs> I'm going to go there. No. Want to go there? No. I want you to go there. Okay. And now that he had planted the church, <clears throat> he was now taken into custody. He was in prison. How can that be God's plan to, court, to, to have his primary church planter and missionary put in prison? How can that ever be God's plan? But it was what he says in chapter 1 verse 12 now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel didn't look like it but it has 
He's writing to assure them that God's in complete control. No matter what it looks like and feels like on, on the ground, on the front line of our lives, God's in total control. He's got this. I've got this. They too are beginning to experience the suffering as a result of persecution. That's what we read in, in 1, 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So their pastor, if you like, had been arrested. They were beginning to experience suffering and persecution and therefore they were under stress all the signs of stress were showing in this young church which Paul writes to address apparently they weren't all pulling together in the gospel chapter 127 they were giving in to their fear of man chapter 128 they were in danger of going back to the default human setting of our hearts of being selfish and inward looking chapter 2 verse 3 there was even such a major split between two of the prominent women in the life of the church that Paul had to write about it in chapter 4 verse 2 so they were under stress because God had changed their plans and they were starting to take their confidence in Christ was starting to take a huge knock and they wondered if God really did love them and that they were we are are we really after all true Christians that is why I believe Paul wrote this letter to them to restore their confidence in Christ look at verse 3 I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is 100% certain that Jesus will finish in them the good work he began in them. And that's one of the great reassurances, one of the great marks that we said, what a faithful God I have. Faithfulness is finishing what you started. That's what faithfulness ultimately is seen by and measured by. God always finishes what he starts. Not like the, some of the projects that I've got kicking around my house that I promised to get round to it one day. God actually finishes what he starts, period. He finished his once-for-all work on the cross forever for all who will trust him. It's a once-for-all. At the end of his faithfulness on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Because he's faithful. And he finishes what he starts. And also Paul is saying that his work of giving his people faith to believe in him. If you're a Christian here this morning, it's because God has gifted you with faith. You don't work yourself up into a lather about it. God gave you the faith to believe in him. And he's also given you the gift to become like him, like him in his death. Verse 129, that's a key theme throughout the letter to the Philippians. And he will carry on in them his work, chapter 213, until it is finished. That's why we're encouraged, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And Paul says, his finished, Jesus' finished work on the cross 
and his to-be-finished work in each and every one of his people will be one day seen by the entire cosmos in what he describes as in the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul was unshakably confident that despite all of the churn of perceived change that God Almighty brought about, that this church that he loved would benefit from the finished crosswork of Christ and the to-be-finished work of Jesus in their lives. Paul had that confidence, and he wanted the church at Philippi to have that same degree of confidence. So how can we, in the 21st century, how can we have this same level of confidence that what Paul says to the Philippian church equally applies to us here today? There are three things that Paul brings out upon which he bases his confidence. And those three things, as they apply to us, if they apply to us, are also the ground upon which we can be unshakably confident in Christ this morning. Number one, our partnership in the gospel. Number two, our progress in Christ. And number three, God's unchanging purpose for us in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please keep uh, open at uh, chapter 1. So, partnership. Look at what he says in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel until the first day, from the first day until now. Verse 7, for it it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me, your partnership in the gospel. What happens is, when, when Jesus grants you faith to believe in him, chapter 129, one of the ways that that faith in him manifests itself in your life is you begin to love those who Jesus loves. You begin to love the people Jesus loves. And you begin to love the people who love Jesus. That's what happens. It's a work of the Spirit. It's not something you've worked yourself up into. It just is a natural expression of the work of the Spirit of God in you. You become a partner with other Christians. You want to spend time with your fellow believers, irrespective of their class or their race or their cultural differences, or whether wherever each one of us is on the social spectrum, you want to spend time with people who, like you, love Jesus. It's one of the ways you know. Look at what happened in Acts chapter 16. We're introduced to three of the founding members of the first European church plant, and they were completely, on different, completely all over the social spectrum. There was a very rich, successful businesswoman whose name was Lydia. There was also a converted, demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl. Completely at the different end of the social spectrum. This girl would be walking around Flidic with a hoodie up and tattoos all over her. She wouldn't be in the posh area running her own business. But you've got Lydia who's become a Christian, and you've got this slave girl who's become a Christian, and then you've got this retired Roman soldier who was the jailer, blue-collar worker. And what happens is, as we read in Acts 16, they all got stuck in together. They all started to love one another and serve one another and care for one another. 
You want to get stuck into the work of the gospel and you want to serve shoulder to shoulder in the church together. Partnerships are formed. And you are becoming more and more of a provider and less and less of a consumer. We read, don't we, in Acts 16, that Lydia opened her home for the church to meet in. We read that the jailer himself, when he became a Christian, tended to the wounds that had been inflicted on Paul and Silas in prison. And then he and all of his household were baptized and filled with joy. So if Jesus has granted you faith to believe in him, you will have new friends, you will have new partnerships in the gospel, and you will discover an increasing joy in him. So if this is true of you, you can be confident that the work he began in you, he will carry it on to completion because of your partnership in the gospel. Secondly, because of your progress in Christ. You see, making progress as a Christian is a major theme that runs throughout this letter. Chapter 125, as well as the verse I've got behind me, we'll come back to that in a moment. Chapter 125, Paul writes, convinced of this, that's that he's not going to die, he's going to be restored, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. I think another key passage in, in Philippians is chapter 3, 13, where Paul talks about his own progress that he wants to make. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, becoming like Jesus in his death. That's what chapter 3 is talking about. I want to become like him. Look at verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to become more and more like Jesus in his death. Is that what you pray for yourself? And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have been arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is head, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He wants to make progress as a Christian, and he wants the people at Philippi to make progress as Christians. And one of the ways that you know you're a genuine Christian, not just that you have new partnerships and new friendships, with Christians who love Jesus, but you want to grow together in Christ. You want to progress in your Christian life. What does progress look like? What does it mean to progress in Christ? Let's turn back to the prayer and look at the prayer that he prays in chapter 1, verse 9, which is some of the verses are on the screen behind me. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's too much to go into this morning. I just want to highlight some of the things, three of the things, that come out of Paul's prayer for this church struggling to grasp what God is doing in changing their plans. Because I think it's key to understanding how to grow on in Christ is to let God be God. 
over our lives. Even though he does things in us and to us and through us that we wouldn't like and wouldn't plan for and wouldn't expect, he's God, he knows best. And one of the things that Paul brings out in this prayer is that we might know that God knows best and trust him for the life that he's mapped out for us. So he wants them to progress. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. They were a loving church. They had, after all, sent one of their leaders, may well have been their sort of associate pastor or pastor, but he certainly seems to be a prominent leader in the church. His name's Epaphroditus. We'll meet him later in the letter. And he'd sent Epaphroditus with a gift of money to care for Paul while he's in prison. So they were a loving church in that sense of the word, very practical, hands-on loving church. But we also read in the letter that there were tensions and problems in the church that were straining their love relationships with one another, Euodia and Syntyche. There was becoming a selfishness that was becoming a bit snippy around the edges. Well, think that's what happens when change happens that you don't want. You do become snippy and short-tempered. Well, I do anyway. Maybe you're... You don't have that problem. So he prays that they would abound more and more in love. Notice he says, I want to see you progressing in your love. Notice what he says, though, in the prayer. That your love may abound more and more in what? You wouldn't expect him to say that. In knowledge and depth of insight. Why does he pray that? Why didn't he just say, I want you to love one another more? Off you go, love one another more. Why does he say, in knowledge and depth of insight? He wants them to have a precise knowledge and a clear discernment. Why? He wants them to know Christ better. That's his own prayer. I want to know Christ. I know Christ, but I want to know him better. And he wants the Christians at Philippi, and we should pray the same for each other, that we, uh, we would abound in love and knowledge and depth of insight to know Jesus better. And the depth of insight means to discern his loving ways through all the changing scenes of life. One of the problems that the Philippians could not see Jesus' fingerprints on Paul's chains. They could not see that the Roman Empire, who'd put their pastor in prison and was, he was in chains next to a Roman guard, they could not see Jesus' fingerprints on Paul's chains. They therefore could not see Jesus' fingerprints on their own suffering. And Paul says, I want you, I, I want, I'm praying that by the Spirit of God, you'll not only love one another more, but you'll understand what your loving saviour is doing I want you to understand in your love for one in your growing love for one another that Jesus uses the cross that he's wrote, written, in, written into your life to reshape you in his image you have to go through the cross not just go to the cross for forgiveness, but go through the cross experience for your own self. That's what he's doing in changing the plans that you've made. Which is why he continues, verse 10, so that you may be able to discern, 
It's another depth of insight expression that you may be able to discern what is best. You don't know what's best for you. That's why you get all stressed about things when things don't go as you've planned. You don't know what's best for you. But he who began a good work in you does. That's what he's doing. This is not just about making wise life choices that lead to purity, which of course is included. But it is about, in a spiritual way, discerning what good work Jesus is doing in your life. And learning to rejoice in him and rest content in him. Because contentment is a massive theme in the letter as well. That's the prayer that Paul prays. When Jesus changed Paul's plans, a church in Europe was planted. When Jesus had Paul imprisoned on death row in Rome, many of Caesar's household came to faith in Christ. So whatever Jesus, when Jesus does whatever Jesus is doing in your life, right here, right now, here this morning, he's doing things in your life that you don't want and you don't like. And you wish he would put you on a different track. But this is the track he's put you on. Because that will take you through the cross experience. He's reshaping your life through the cross. That's the good work he's doing in you. And it's all for his glory. So Paul's prayer is that you would be able to see Jesus' DNA all over your sufferings and all over your trials. And therefore rejoice in him. That's real progress. How are, you, how are we doing? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because it's God's purpose. The day of Christ Jesus is where all of history is heading. That is God's unchanging purpose. The day of Christ Jesus in the, is the day when every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth in the entire cosmos will bow. The day of Christ Jesus is the day when every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the day of Christ Jesus is when his finished work on the cross for all who believe in him and how you begin that journey are being made ready for that day. Have you begun that journey? Has Christ Jesus begun a good work in you this morning? Or are you still on the outside looking in? Where's your knee this morning? Is, it, is your knee bowing to him? Every knee shall bow. What's the posture of your heart towards him this morning? Who is your tongue confessing as Lord of your life this morning? Are you confessing you as the Lord of your life? Or are you confessing that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Are you a work in progress in Christ? And therefore the to-be-finished work of Jesus in your life, if, you, if he has granted you faith to believe in him, he is transforming your hearts and minds, as we've said, through reshaping your life to look like more and more his obedient unto death life on the cross. 
So I ask you again, can you trace his loving good work in your life? And ultimately, the to-be-finished work of Jesus in your life will ultimately be to transform your lowly, frail, feeble, failing body to be like his glorious body. That's what Paul brings out in chapter 3. Verse 20, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus is in the business of finishing everything he starts. Are you eagerly awaiting that day? Have you formed partnerships in the gospel because you love people who love Jesus, because you love Jesus? Are you making progress and becoming more and more like him in his death? And are you longing for that day? If those are true of you, you can be confident and rejoice in the reality that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Life in Christ always works out exactly as he has planned for your good and for his glory. There's a a song written by a man who was at the time suffering from incredible heartbreak. And he wrote this line in one of his hymns. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know. Can you say that this morning? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Are you confident in Christ this morning? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that through all the changing scenes of life, the things that you weave into our lives that we wouldn't naturally and normally want to be part of our lives, thank you that they are all part of the good work that you began in us if we're Christians here this morning. If we're not yet Christians, please grant faith that everyone who leaves this room this morning may be able to say, Jesus granted me faith to believe in him. And if we have trusted him, please give us grace to suffer for him and to grow in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's conclude our time together this morning. If you'd love to stay for a coffee or chat afterwards, that'd be brilliant.